This is the Pentagon, the ultimate fortress of the military-industrial complex. Here, life and death decisions are made. Decisions that produce the School of the Americas, also known as the School of the Assassins in Columbus, Georgia. The Bay of Pigs fiasco, spy planes, Agent Orange, neutron bombs, and the Vietnam and Persian Gulf Wars. Seated in the war room like gods, sit generals and admirals, like the great Kublai Khan on his imperial throne. At the gates to this magnificent structure lies the Pentagon Hounds, the dogs of war. These hounds are there to guard the Pentagon against criminals from every walk of life. These police state dogs do just that. They sniff out anti-war protesters, saboteurs, those who want the School of the Americas shut down forever, those who want Bush, Rumsfeld, Sharon, Cheney, and Kissinger tried for war crimes, those who liked Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 911, card-carrying atheists, communists, socialists, progressive liberals, income tax evaders. These hounds of the Pentagon are watching, watching you, watching all who enter and leave the Pentagon. And they're there to guard the police state under a sovereign Caucasian god sitting on his corporate throne in the White House. All right, and that is Bradley Thunderbird Phoenix here on Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Here are your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. Um, always changing up, throwing you something a little bit different. Uh, we've generally stayed away from politics on the show, uh, but I just had to share the unique and challenging work of Bradley Thunderbird Phoenix. Uh, BradleyPhoenix.com, as you can find over 100 of his shorter uh, political as well as science fiction and fantasy productions. Um, so uh, most of the episode today, we'll be talking to Bradley Phoenix about his work, hearing a couple other short sketches, and then a longer piece as we close out the show. But first, but first, but first, but first, we have a transmission from our friend Captain Radio reporting to us from the Fifth Dimension. Um, audio review for you today. Greetings, Audionauts. Captain Radio here with a review of Hollywood Theater of the Year's 2010 production of St. Joan by George Bernard Shaw. Seeking reparations with his audience after alienating many through his outspoken pacifism during World War I, prodigious Irish playwright Shaw quietly staged a New York road test premiere of St. Joan as 1923 came to a close. Three months thereafter, the play opened in London to acclaim and featured distinguished actress and close friend for whom he personally wrote the lead role, Sybil Thorndike. Now, gifted audio drama director Yuri Rosovsky artfully melds the talents of actress Amy Irving as the gung-ho French farm maiden turned warrior by the voices in her head to those of a veteran male cast to bring us a fresh and energetic revival. Rosovsky again displays seemingly effortless skill in translating a lengthy theatrical piece to intriguing audio drama. For example, note how he has narrator John Lee deftly set both scene and character aspect. 
Chinon in Touraine. An end of the throne room in the castle, curtained off to make an antechamber. The Archbishop of Rheims, a full-fed prelate with nothing of the ecclesiastic about him except his imposing bearing, and the Lord Chamberlain, Monseigneur de la Tremouille, a monstrous, arrogant wineskin of a man, are waiting for the Dauphin. In his preface to St. Joan, nearly as long as the play, Shaw insists the work contains no villains, only patriarchetypes, unwitting but darkly sincere in defending the end of their feudal age, and precocious Joan, the sudden spectacular commentary come to catalyze what must be. The men view Joan as an astonishingly disrespectful teenager and likely heretic, perhaps even a sorceress, who, unfortunately, gets the dirty work done they cannot. Eventually, they will betray her. In this scene in the Rheims Cathedral, following the miracle coronation of Charles VII, Irving's maid uncompromisingly reveals to these defiant feudal lords, as well as a fearful church prelate, the extent of their blindness. Because your knights are no good for real fighting. War is only a game to them, like tennis and all their other games. They make rules as to what is fair and what is not fair, and heap armor on themselves and on their poor horses to keep out the arrows. And when they fall, they can't get up and have to wait for their squires to come and lift them to arrange about the ransom with the man that has poked them off their horse. Can't you see... That all the like of that has gone by and done with. Author critic T.S. Eliot observed that although the play was not the masterpiece some claimed it to be, it seems to illustrate Mr. Shaw's mind more clearly than anything he has written before. Rosovsky's highly competent and satisfying effort, then, represents both an excellent introduction to Shaw and a standout performance. Hollywood Theatre of the Year's production of George Bernard Shaw's St. Joan is available online at blackstoneaudio.com. Until next time, Audionauts, this is Captain Radio signing off. All right, and that was Captain Radio reporting to you from the Fifth Dimension about the excellent piece by Yuri Rusovsky, St. Joan. And I um, have heard that myself and uh, highly encourage you to go listen to it. It is absolutely breathtaking production. I know uh, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you heard my interview with Yuri uh, a few months back where he talked about uh, the stellar cast he was able to assemble for that. And um, that's that's really what carries it. Um, it's not an extremely elaborate production in terms of um, sound, uh, soundscape or, or music, but uh, really just pits uh, terrific actors against each other in one of the most spellbinding plays uh, by a professional playwright. Um, so highly encourage you to check that out. Um, all right. Uh, now to get to our programming today, we're talking to Bradley Thunderbird Phoenix about his work in audio. Enjoy, and we'll catch you at the tail end of the show. And welcome to Radio Drama Revival. Our guest today is Bradley Thunderbird Phoenix. He is a really interesting voice in the world of audio drama, has produced uh, over 100 audio short stories, um, all various lengths, uh, a lot are under 15 minutes, everything from the uh, rather scathing political satire uh, samples you've heard, as well as some uh, great uh, Twilight Zone, Harlan Ellison-esque um, science fiction and fantasy plays and, and, and other stuff in between, um, New Yorker. And uh, audio drama fan, uh, Bradley, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Fred. Yeah, and I, so, I've, so I've been on your website, and people can check it out, bradleyphoenix.com. Um, as I said, we've been playing some of the shorter uh, politically inspired pieces. Um, th- I guess, well, why don't we start uh, either there or with um, this question. Basically, uh, you know, with it seems that it's sort of informed by, like, say, you know, slam poetry or... 
you know, other forms of, you know, basically protest material. But how do you go, why audio drama? Why these actual uh, audio pieces? And I wonder what part of your history brings us to you choosing this as a, a voice for that kind of political work. Well, I started off writing poetry, and then I went to the short story form, prose, and then I went to, uh, finally went to, I felt comfortable in the niche of audio drama, inspired by the Firestein Theater. Although I do contemporary audio drama, dealing with contemporary social issues. So on your website, you say uh, one of your goals is to become a black Rod Serling. And I certainly can take an impression by that, but I'm curious to see what you, what you mean by that, what you want listeners to think about and, and to, to get out of your work when, by that goal. Okay. Rod Serling, uh, creator of The Twilight Zone, the original Twilight Zone, which ran from 1959 to 1964, uh, he was one of my literary heroes. And uh, I, I loved his anthology series, now, I didn't have, I don't have the budget to do what he's done. And I know he had tremendous problems with uh, sponsors and censorship and things like that. But what I wanted to do was something, I wanted to follow in his footsteps. And I couldn't do it with television. So I did it with audio theater. And uh, that's the way I approached it. So now I have a anthology series, Excursion. And uh, that uh, deals with a lot of Twilight Zone-type stories. I have a lot of Twilight Zone-type stories. And that's what I wanted to do, just to follow in his footsteps. Great. And and I also uh, get that Harlan Ellison's a a, a major influence on you as well. Oh, yes. Uh, Harlan Ellison, that name strikes terror in people's hearts in Hollywood. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, he's like about 5'1", 5'2". And uh, a lot of people are intimidated. But Harlan is really a teddy bear at heart, I believe. He's the, he's the mouse that roared. Uh, Harlan, uh, Harlan Ellison is my favorite author. Rod Serling, Patty Chayefsky. Now, all those are they're Jewish Americans. That's interesting that they had a profound influence on my, uh, my life and wanting to be a writer and to follow in their literary footsteps. And, and, and to touch on, on something that this is, you know, I'll, I'll just have to sort of be plain about it. Um, I would say that there, the African-American experience is not really well represented in radio drama, audio theater in general, um, and even the urban experience is not even that well represented. And I wonder if you feel the same way and if, what that uh, kind of reality may affect you when it comes to actually producing your work. Yes, I believe that's a very accurate statement. Uh, Take, for example, Octavia Butler, the late Octavia Butler. Wonderful writer. Uh, But we don't have too many science fiction fantasy writers in the African-American community. So that's that's one of the reasons why I called myself a black Rod Serling, so that I could get my name out there and people would say, people would be intrigued by that phrase, a black Rod Serling. But yes, there is very little representation uh, in Hollywood. Uh, Hollywood has kind of let us down and kind of let women down, too, in general, in Hollywood. 
which which again is kind of I guess the joy of of radio drama is that you know with with you know fairly modest resources you can uh, create you know pretty large body of work uh, you know and you've you've got all these wonderfully inventive pieces that are all pretty short um, and maybe uh, you know say quite a lot while while at at its heart being a fairly simple piece. I found out that people um, <laughs> when it comes to radio theater they have very short attention spans. People can sit in the movie theater for two and a half, three hours, like Lord of the Rings or something like that, and, right. uh, and watch a movie, sit in the dark and watch a movie. But it pains them to listen to, a, to radio plays because we as a society, we are not used to audio theater, contemporary or classic. And uh, that's a shame, but um, some of the best writers... Ray Bradbury, Harlan Ellison, Rod Serling uh, have uh, been exposed to radio drama. And I think it's, uh, it's a wonderful medium that uh, can really charge your imagination. Yeah, and let, let, let's hear that. I'm going to play a piece called uh, Republican. Uh, and this is, uh, yeah, I think it pretty much speaks for itself. Let's hear that. I'm a Republican and proud to be one. The Obama drama days will soon be over, and things will get back to normal round here. I'd feel a lot better knowing a white man is back in the White House. Cause Obama ain't doing nothing about terrorist people. Oh, I know they're out there. They're out there. I can hear them and smell them. Al-Qaeda operatives hide in the woods outside my home. These terrorist people follow me everywhere. They've planted listening devices in my toaster, cell phone, Laptop, soup, bath water, and countless other things. They even watch me through my TV set. I trust the Republican teabag party 1,000%. Al-Qaeda and other terrorists are everywhere. They're kind of like illegal aliens. They scatter in fear when the light of our great republic shines on them. Oh, you can't see them with your naked eyes because, in reality, they're kind of invisible-like. And they move around interdimensionally all right and that was republican it looks like that was pretty recent it's got uh talking about obama and basically how the the right blames obama for all their woes and and that was a pretty recent piece that was um just this past november i understand yes that was done on november the 28th uh right in my home because i didn't want to uh, <laughs> i was you see i'm paying for these uh, productions out of my own pocket and the actors are volunteers. This is not community theater. No, it's not. There's no unions involved. So I decided to do the uh, some of our last productions uh, right here in my home. And all we did was uh, my audio engineer, Paul Michael Barkan, hooked everything up, and then everything went into his laptop. So what? So uh, so tell me this. So you're you're you know you're occasionally associated with DBUSB. Um, you've got the ability to record at your own home. Uh, what are what are the projects you're working on now, Bradley? Okay. Uh, besides doing some things in my home as far as recording the plays, and then, of course, I edit them digitally in post-production, I am doing conducting interviews out of my home. Uh, like I said, I had a radio arts magazine for five years at WUSB, and I wanted to go back, and I was offered a, a job, as a DJ slash host, 
Uh, there's a radio station in Berkeley, California, that is a podcasting radio station. And they said, hey, they like some of the stuff I do. And they said, uh, would you like to have an hour-long radio program? And I said, sure. So besides doing conducting interviews out of my home, uh, once again, my audio engineer, Paul Michael Barkan, hooked me up. And the last interview I did was with Mike Madonna, who has been the sound designer for, I think, two Star Trek movies, Demolition Man with Sylvester Stallone. And you can look up uh, Mike Madonna on Google and you'll see the other films that he did sound designing for. Oh, incredible, man. But that's what I'm doing. Out of my home, I'm doing the interviews, I'm doing the plays, and I'm about to enter into a relationship, a business relationship with uh, Stupid Head Comedy. Now, I'm out in the middle of Long Island. They're in Manhattan, so I have to take the train in or a car, and it takes about maybe 30 minutes, 35, 40 minutes to get into the city. Stupid Head Comedy does visual sketches. So I, I talked to the um, head person there. His name is Eric Skajivaland. And uh, I'll meet with him tomorrow. Actually, Fred, I'm going to meet with uh, Eric Skajivaland tomorrow and pitch to him some of my comedy sketches. I'm going to convert them from audio skits into... Uh, visual sketch, sketches for him. And there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. I'm about to launch my YouTube uh, talk show theater series. I'm uh, submitting plays to uh, indie filmmakers and Hollywood uh, producers, hoping that they'll get a bite. There's a lot going on. Yeah, you know, I, you, you touched on something I think is really interesting, is that um, as much as I love and admire the audio theater art form, I think as an artist in today's world, you kind of have to be a multimedia artist. So you may do audio drama, but as you mentioned, you're, you're adapting it into other media. Uh, I see that one of your uh, dramas has become, you know, had YouTube animation added to it and, you know, talking about theater pieces. It's sort of like, you know, audio, audio it's a really a multimedia kind of world we're in. And audio drama does something very special, but it also can be complementary with other art form, I feel. Oh, you're exactly right. Now, originally, initially, I wanted to be Stanley Kubrick. So imagine Stanley Kubrick with an afro, since I'm, I'm African-American and Native American at the same time. Uh, but I wanted, to, uh, I wanted to get into filmmaking, so I, was, I took up filmmaking in college. And uh, then I got into, I realized that that's expensive. You know, at that time, <laughs> we're talking in the 1970s, uh, uh, film was uh, expensive, and we're talking about eight millimeter film before they even got into Super 8. <laughs> so, yes, uh, I want to do I want to do it all. And audio theater is like you mentioned modestly. It's probably I'll use this word. It's one of the cheapest ways to get your work out there. Now, people can't relate to radio theater because we're living in a visual society, television, video games, and all kinds of things that are visual movies. And so what you have to do is you have to um, introduce it to people and then tell them, listen, radio theater is important and relevant because there are actors in Hollywood that do radio theater, basically. Uh, when actors go in what they call post-dubbing, You've heard of that. That's basically radio theater. You know, if they're out on the street 
and they can't be heard because of traffic and plane noises and other kind of extraneous noises, they go into the studio and they dub their voices in. Yeah, yeah, and and certainly not to mention, yeah, and certainly not to mention things like animation, which is basically, you know, radio drama with uh, some pictures at, exactly. <laughs> where, where the pictures aren't in your mind anymore. I was going to I was going to mention that as well. Uh, animation, animation is basically radio theater. So, I mean, uh, it, I mean that's just one aspect of it. I should say, of course, it's the animation, the uh, the drawings and things like that. It's very important, the illustrations, but. Uh, it's, it touches on that. So radio theater does have relevance because some people do not see the relevance of it. And uh, I'm not preaching to the choir because a lot of people don't understand radio theater. It's like, it's like them being on the surface of the moon with radio theater. It's totally bizarre, strange, different territory. Yeah, yeah. And, and people have to get used to what it's like to, to really listen uh, actively and intently uh, when they're not, not used to that. Well, people think, uh, they think uh, when they say radio theater, they think of the Long Ranger and Fibber McGee and Molly and Jack Benny, you know, <laughs> all that thing. But what I do is I, I respect classic radio theater from the golden age of radio. But what I do is what I call modern or contemporary radio theater. And like I mentioned before, it addresses current social issues. Excellent. Well, Bradley, thank you so much for your time today. It was a real pleasure. We're going to play close out on one more piece of your work. And um, and, and thanks for your time today. We love the art form and, and keep letting us know as your projects advance. Well, I appreciate that, Fred. And thank you for having me on your program. Right, thank you. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. But does it always? And what toll does the truth take? on the human conscience. The Montage Radio Theater presents Watchdog. Hmm, <coughs> what, what the, three o'clock in the morning? Come on, why the hell is my clock set for three in the morning? I'm so tired. Uh... Oh no, give me a break with this barking. I... Just when I was finally getting some sleep. Shut up! Shut up! Shut the hell up! Damn thing. Hey, wait a minute. That dog is dead. How can it... It's the same dog. But it, but it can't be. Come on. Come on, answer, answer the freaking phone. Oh, now it stops barking. He's gonna think I'm crazy. Who is calling at this unholy hour? This better be important. Larry, it's it's me, Roger. Roger? You don't have to whisper. Joyce is staying with her mother. Her mother's very sick. I know she's staying with her mother. Are you all right? No, I'm I'm not all right. I'm I'm all wrong. I don't have time for games, Roger. It's three in the morning. What is it? What is it? Don't you hear it? Hear what? What? 
What am I supposed to be listening to at three in the morning? The barking! The, the dog is barking his brains out. How can you sleep through all that barking? Roger, I've got the window open and there's a nice cool breeze coming in, but there's no dog barking. Listen, listen to that. Hear it? I don't hear anything. Not a creature is stirring, not even a mouse. All I hear are crickets. And according to National Geographic Television, crickets don't bark. That's not funny, Larry. The dog's practically under your nose. You think the dog is on my side of the street? Yes, it's the same bark. What do you mean, the same bark? Smaller dogs have a higher-pitched bark. This, This has to be the same dog. The police dog. It's your dog. My dog? Larry, don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Roger, are you losing your mind? My dog died a week ago. I told you that. I don't like calling them police dogs. I prefer German Shepherd. What? Whatever. It's it's out there right now, barking so loud it could wake up the dead. Well, unless it's the dog's ghost or it resurrected inside your head, it can't be my dog. You probably dreamed about a dog barking. I didn't dream it. Oh, goodness. I don't believe this. Here we are having a conversation about dogs at 3.15 in the morning. Go back to sleep, Roger. I, I, I can't. The beast keeps barking and, and barking. Hey, hey, wait a minute. The barking stopped. Good. Now we can both get some sleep. Um, I'm still having problems getting to sleep. Insomnia is the result of an emotional traffic jam in your mind. You have to learn how to meditate and quiet your mind. I don't have time for all that metaphysical mumbo-jumbo. Then make yourself some hot chocolate or warm milk, put your body between the sheets, shut your eyelids, and just lie there. Just lie there? (laughs) Oh, that's great advice. Older brothers always give great advice. Listen, even if you don't sleep, just allow your body to rest. And try to think of picturesque parks and green pastures. I feel like I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. Well, maybe you're right. I'll see you in the morning. Much later, like around 11 a.m. Tomorrow's Sunday. No, no, today's Sunday. I'll be sleeping most of the morning. I think I'll skip mass today. All right, Larry, I'll, I'll go make some warm milk. Good. And unless aliens try to abduct you, or there's a tornado in your backyard, or a serial killer is knocking on your door, please don't call me anymore tonight. You can email me. But don't phone me. <laughs> All right. Bye. Goodbye. I uh, guess I'll watch a little TV. Uh, most of what's on puts me to sleep anyhow. TV guide. Hmm. Where's the TV guide? Okay. Uh, what's on? Uh, let's see. Uh, Hounds of Baskervilles. Oh, please. Old Yeller. <laughs> That's a stupid waste of film. Ah, the Maltese Falcon. That sounds good. What what the what the hell? How how did the dog get on the television? This has to be the same dog. It has the same blue collar. That's insane. The the dog's on every channel. Let, let, let me try. Let's see. The AM, FM, stereo, radio. This has to be a joke. When I get my hands on the guy who sold me this home theater unit, I'll... Murray! 
Murray Sullivan sold me this home theater unit. It's gotta be him. It has to be a joke. I know. They wired my unit for sound effects, and they're playing a joke on me. It has to be that. Oh, dear God, the phone scared the hell out of me. Very funny joke, Larry. The, the dog's on the phone. Who is this? If this is supposed to be a joke, I'm not laughing. Messing with my television and phone. We're talking serious jail time, pal. You hear me? I got caller ID. I got your phone number. What? The, the caller's phone number's not registering. It should register even if someone calls from a payphone. It doesn't make sense. Oh, the dog's barking is louder. Uh, where's it coming from? I, I can't stand it. I can't stand it. Stop it. Stop it. I can't stand it. Okay, pick, pick up the phone. Answer the phone. Come on, answer the phone. Whoever it is, they'd better be administering the last rites. Larry, it's me again. Roger. What's the problem now? Larry, I, I have to tell you something. I, uh... Get it out of your system, Roger. What's bugging you? Larry, I killed your dog. You what? I poisoned your dog. That's not funny, Roger. I'm being honest with you, Larry. I, I poisoned your dog last Sunday. I, I had my alarm clock set for 3 a.m., and I took a steak, and I saturated it in poison. Then I went over to your backyard, and I slipped the poison meat through the fence. That's a horribly cruel thing to do. You hated the dog that much? I did it because I'm, I'm having an affair with Joyce. Oh, no. Oh, no. My, my own brother? Whenever I came over so that Joyce and I could, you know, do it, the, the dog would bark and bark and bark, and I... It knew I was, why I was there, and it resented me. It took two days for the dog to die. I couldn't imagine anyone doing this to an animal. I thought it was the same kids that spray-painted swastikas on the Jewish synagogue. I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to feel. But you need psychiatric help, Roger. You really do. Uh, I'm sorry, Larry. You're my brother, and I, I hurt you, and I'm, I'm really sorry. I bought the dog because I knew I'd be away a lot. I wanted a watchdog to guard the house and protect Joyce. The bark, the barking, the barking stopped. Oh, the barking stopped. Thank God, oh, thank God. Of course it stopped. Confession is good for the soul. The best watchdog anyone could ever have is their own conscience. You've just listened to Watchdog, performed by the Montage Players, with Kim Baker as Roger and Lenny Provenzano as Larry, engineered by John Tobacco, written and directed by Bradley Thunderbird Phoenix, music provided by 3TV USB. The Montage Radio Theater theme, Arabesque Number no. 1, by Claude Debussy. This has been a Montage Radio Theater production.
All right, and that was The Watchdog by Bradley Thunderbird Phoenix, bradleyphoenix.com. Um, you can find more plays there. And uh, stay tuned here for Radio Drama Revival. Um, in the weeks ahead, we are going to have a month-long feature, Sci-Fi February, as I'm calling it. It might be our new tradition following our uh, Halloween plays all through all of October and November. We're going to be doing uh, lots of science fiction here um, through the month of February and maybe into March, um, starting next week with Edict Zero by Jack Kincaid. Amazingly, amazing new serial. Uh, looks like a big collaborative effort um, with many voices um, that you've heard elsewhere in the podcasting audio drama arena. And this is something fresh and original, uh, very new, very exciting, um, action-packed, and I think you're going to like it uh, starting next week. Edict Zero, uh, Witch Hunter Chronicles. After that, another fresh, new, excellent audio serial, and then uh, my own The Cleansed uh, will be re-releasing with a podcast-friendly version as we get into March. So lots of good stuff ahead. Just stay tuned here to the show. Uh, in the meantime, remember you can find over 150 hours of original audio drama at radiodramarevival.com and learn all about the latest in audio drama news following us on Twitter at Radio Drama or search Facebook for Radio Drama Revival or iTunes. Again, the classic iTunes search for Radio Drama Revival. All right, that wraps up for this week. Radio Drama Revival is produced by yours truly, Fred Greenhalgh, copyright of individual shows. Remains their original producers, but do please share this show as far and widely as you like. Radio Drama Revival originates at On Air Radio at WMPG-FM, Greater Portland, Maine's Community Radio. This podcast at radiodramarevival.com is a labor of love. Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in, and have a great week. Mm-hmm.